What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Culture FC, the weekly soccer show where we talk all culturally relevant soccer topics, fashion, lifestyle, music, politics, everything off the pitch, just another stuff on it. I'm Alan, and I'm here with Brendan and Louis, and this week we cover the Chinese Super League and soccer in general in China. Over the past few years, we've been seeing an explosion of famous players, Hulk, Oscar, Carrasco, to name a few, Tevez, who have moved overseas, big money moves. So we want to discuss why players are doing that other than the money, if that plays an impact on the league, if that makes China a go-to destination for the future, and will it increase their chances of winning a World Cup by 2050. And leave us a comment below about the Chinese Super League and China as a footballing nation in general. We'd love to hear your feedback. Make sure you follow our Culture FC Instagram account. It's at culturef.c. Check out the behind the scenes of everything we do, how we set up, quotes, all the fun stuff. As always, be sure to leave us that five-star review, share with a friend, mom, dad, whoever it may be that you love so dearly. I know my mom loves it. Shout out to my moms. And let's get into it. So this week we are changing up the format a little bit not doing five topics doing three so that we can get you more quality and less quantity i think we all agree that that's not yes. that's not, not the worst thing deal. in the world oh, yeah show. so let's start it off this week topic number one atlanta united our, our i'd say favorite club maybe MSL. currently MSL. yeah <laughs> so them, uh their season opener they broke their own attendance record for last year and it was 73,000, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, 72,035 tickets sold, which breaks their own record, which breaks their which previously broke their own record, which is... Didn't it also break the record before that? That's what I'm saying. Yes. It just broke. They okay. broke every single record. They've been breaking their own records. <laughs> they were, I think, a few seat, thousand seats shy of selling what Manchester United sells regularly. I mean, pretty cool. I think that they're showing that there weren't just a one-season wonder. Pretty cool. That's insane. I mean, if you're saying if the numbers were seventy-two thousand and thirty-five people, that is only slightly less than Manchester United seventy-six that watched United play Liverpool. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And way more than anything, any other. I mean, I think very few teams in England have more than that yeah. in terms of attendance ever. Yeah. You know, I understand capacity of a stadium is, is an issue, but yeah. you know what I mean? Like in terms of ad- average attendance in the world, you don't have many uh, teams who are going to do more than 72,000. I would hate to be the away squad. Can you imagine that? Especially in the MLS where no. that's not a call. Like one game, it's like, yo, we're lucky if we get like 10, 15,000. Yeah. But like yeah. one game, yo, we're playing. And <laughs> yeah. They have 73,000 people. And there. they won the game to not talk about scores, but... The they won, so the crowd is probably pretty bumping. resoundingly. Yeah. it was a good, it was a good, it was a good win. Wow. Funny, funnily enough, they played DC United, and I saw this really cool article. It was DC United is going to go from playing in the in front of the most fans ever to attend an MLS game to next week playing in front of the fewest fans to ever play an MLS game. The reason is they're getting a new stadium built, but until it's built, they have they're playing on two different like sites near DC, and one of them that they're playing next week is in Maryland. And uh, the so this this stadium only fits five thousand people that they're what? playing at. Yep. Wait, how many? Five thousand. Wow. Five thousand. So about the size of of Bowditch, which is our local uh, high school football stadium. <laughs> how um, is that okay? It, I don't know. And the I guess worst they part is, don't have anything bro. around there. They got. Yeah. Got to make worst too. part is the seats for this game aren't included in the season ticket package for DC United. So the people who typically first would go to support, they would oh, have to go gosh. and buy a separate ticket. People are estimating that they're going to have three thousand, less than three thousand one hundred and like sixty people attend this this game next week, which would be the lowest attendance Thanks, ever to watch an MLS. Taking game. a hit financially, then, huh? Or are they like and getting most. subsidized by the MLS? Or what, no like, idea no. why that's even allowed to fly, especially because that's for not, money, you can't sustain it. Yeah. They're probably. It's something probably happened with like the construction, like it must have been thrown off or something. Like, well, you know, like, it is, it's, not, it's not that it was thrown off; it was just a matter of they had to have like two. two they were playing on two different sites throughout, like Maryland and Virginia or whatever. Yeah, but it just it just doesn't seem very more. thought out. No, like, no. very well no. planned. So the like, stadium playing. Has the, do you know if the stadium's been under in progress for a while? Their stadium, a little bit, not not too long. I don't think. Ooh, but, that's um, yeah, that's a, interesting. Is that? 
Schweinsteiger plays for them, right? No, Schweinsteiger plays for Chicago. Right. right. But right, DC right. United, they they have a typical. I think they have a decent fan base. They've they've done pretty well wow. in in the MLS history. So I figured they'd have a decent yeah. fan base, but like that is going to be interesting psychologically yeah. for these next two games for those days. Imagine, dude, yeah. I just can't imagine being a player for DC United and being like, "Wow, look at this <laughs> well, team we have to play against." It's like going they back to high school and like playing yeah. a high school game. And the worst part yeah. is, it's going to be considered a home game for them. Yeah, next weekend. Wow. But okay, moving on. Next topic. We're going to bring it internationally. So Wall, which is like a Brazilian website. Um, they do everything sports related, news related, regardless, whatever. But they came out and leaked a document, uh, supposed Nike contract with Neymar, a 2011 Nike contract that they had with him. And in this contract, they basically told Neymar which teams he was allowed to play for. So they had it bracketed into what they called category A clubs and then category B clubs, which are basically just the rest of the clubs. But the list of Category A clubs is pretty interesting. A lot of them were expected, but this is in 2011. AC Milan, Arsenal, Barcelona, Bayern Munich, Chelsea, Inter Milan, Juventus, Manchester United, and Real Madrid. So if he went to one of these clubs or played for one of these clubs, he would be getting his full contract, blah, 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 with all the bonuses. If he played for any other club that wasn't in this A bracket, his contract was like cut in half or something crazy. And it kind of goes to show that... um, there's always this rumor of your sponsor kind of dictates where you can play. And, and people are always like, oh, no, that's not true. That's such BS, blah, 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 blah. But it, it's funny because the article that I was reading this in was talking about how even in the situation where Cavani that during this season was going to take a PK and Neymar kind of fought him for it, the coach then has to kind of think like, oh, I kind of have to give this guy – uh, this guy, my superstar, the, the PK, because there's a lot of money on this, right? So huh. it's uh, I thought it was interesting because you're kind of getting a you get a real look of what these Nike like. Why does Nike get to decide how much how much money based off of a club? But yeah, that is that is a little terrifying. It, I think it's cool from an objective point of view to to watch this and, and understand it and be like, wow, Nike really has a lot of influence. But then it, you start to think about it, and it terrifies you. Like if Nike can dictate where uh, one of the best players in the world go and dictate, you know, little things and have these little micro influences here and there. That stuff starts to build and it ends up creating a really weird situation. You know what I mean? Uh, clearly, this is only going to happen to zero zero one 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 percent of the players in the world. In other words, being Neymar, Messi, Pogba, Cristiano Ronaldo. Other than that, they're not going to get. I don't think would ever get to a level where they're really influencing it. But it's still terrifying. I don't thing. know, man. Two thousand eleven. That's yeah. I mean that's pretty young in his career. Like he was a prospect. He would had, yeah. had played already at a high level. But you can kind of say that at when you're that young in your career, you have a lot of prospects, right? If you're kind of dictating what players can do that early on in their career, you could derail them quick, right? Because right? right, Neymar could have gone south for some reason and and not panned out. That's a young person. That's the career of a young footballer, and not really panned out. So I'm thinking, oh, they might have this for a lot of guys that. That's actually a good. That's a good yeah. Point. If it weren't 2011, if it was like last year or something, I could go with you. But 2011, I you gotta, think, yeah. you gotta right. think. That's like I didn't any that. like Mar- Marcus Rashford and all these young guys that are, are balling, like, uh, you know really I mean? good. That that are super young. That's a pretty big like statement. Well, I will say in the Neymar case, a lot of people don't realize the level of fame and popularity Neymar had prior to going to Barcelona. Sure, it quadrupled after that. But people think that Neymar was some scrub in Brazil that got brought to Barcelona. No. Yeah, of course. But in reality, the man had won the Libertadores, which is the equivalent of the Champions of League. He had done so much in his, you know, I think it was two and a half, three years yeah. at, in Santos that, like, people don't give him credit for that. So I think that that's why his situation might be a little bit special. But then again, it could be that they have these contracts with you know, other young players because that's probably their way of how they pave their future. Right. They're you know covering I mean? their tracks. I mean... To, to put that in a contract probably isn't that hard for them. No. You know what I mean? And so. if you get five or six dudes in the same situation, only one of them pans out, you right. still win. Right. Because look at how much money Nike right. has made that off of That could be Neymar. one of those copy and paste things they throw into every single contract. Where it's just like, it here you seems, go. Because the, the interesting part is that the, the requirement for Category B clubs, without getting too much into it, it was something like teams had to be in the Champions League three, three consecutive years, blah, 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 blah. So they still broke it down pretty pretty like concisely yeah. um which makes you think that they they think think about it and they probably probably added into a lot of different contracts well 
that's just imagine that's, if they could just load teams too yeah just load them up like all right you guys are our best athletes like you can only play for these teams it's a surprise too that they don't just they don't just put nike teams in the contract like they had Real madrid um ac yeah, right? which wasn't a nike team so that so, they don't really even care about that they just care that the players at a big club yeah. uh so they gotta get mad we want you to sell for yeah us. yeah huh. so to go off of your point b i recently saw there's a little theory going around about Neymar in this coming summer. So they're saying reports are coming out saying that <sighs> I know Neymar, what you're talking about. I hate this. <laughs> is that Neymar is not even Brazilian. Ne- Say again. Not even Brazilian. <laughs> he's, <laughs> not, he's not from this country. He's not from this planet. No, no. It's uh, it's about how he's refusing to go back to Paris and how the owner of PSG had to fly to Brazil this past weekend because he actually he's doing his rehab for his ankle surgery or foot surgery, I'm sorry, in Brazil. So the owner of PSG flew out to talk to him and try to convince him to come back to, to Paris. And they're saying that he's basically saying that he is not going back to Paris in the summer. He refuses. And the two clubs that are kind of being brought up as the next destination for Neymar, one of them being the return to Barcelona mm-hmm. and the other one being Real Madrid. I've yeah. said it on this podcast before that there are only two other teams that can pay for um, Neymar to go to their team, and it's Manchester United and Real Madrid. And I don't even think Barcelona has the money financially to buy him yeah. again. After Coutinho. After all of that. Yeah. But I saw this theory. This is where the, the story gets juicy, is that Neymar – or I'm sorry, uh, Nike – have promised Real Madrid that they will finance the entire move for Neymar. Like, they will pay the 500 million euro transfer fee that it's going to be to get him from PSG to uh, Real Madrid as long as uh, Real Madrid break their Adidas contract and sign with Nike. The plot thickens. Yeah. I thought it was just going to be like, yeah, we'll foot him, but he needs to be starting all the time. It's like, no, nah, you got to break Adidas. No, they're saying that they want to wow, break the Real Madrid Adidas contract and sign a brand new contract I, with Nike. So the reason I hate this like this theory is because I'm really against conspiracy theories and like ideas like that. But I will say this. Neymar was initially a Real Madrid fan. Like when he was younger, he came out as a Real Madrid fan. Didn't he trial for them at one point too? Yeah, he has history with them. And I can see it, but I just... It's so hard for me to think, think that a team that just paid that much money doesn't have a little bit of control... To, over their player where they can't keep him past a year even if he says i don't want to be here anymore yeah so i find that and how much does he go for now his next his next go around i said double it you know what i mean that is a that is a crazy sum i don't think any team can china that in terms of when we talk about financial fair play is there a team that can just boast that much the only team that can physically do it like i said the two teams that within financial fair play who can do it? Even at Real double? Madrid, yeah, Real Madrid and and Manchester United are the only two clubs that have the financial power to even somehow stomach a play for for Neymar, <sighs> because they would have to clearly sell a couple players to make up for it or whatever. But the money they would make off of jersey sales, off of appearances, off of all of that, Nike would actually, you know, you hear these big numbers. I promise you, Nike would make a, so much more money off of the Neymar transfer to Real Madrid than the money they'd spend to get him over there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say my final thought on it is that his transfers have been shady as fuck from the get-go. Yeah. From the moment he stepped foot as a, as a footballer and transfer started talking, dude, the, I remember I was following his actual transfer live on uh, the Brazilian website. The Bra- yeah, it was Spock. big in Brazil, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and at one 24 point... 24-hour live stream of Neymar. No, at one yeah, point basically. it was confirmed that he was going to Chelsea. That was the... They were like, Neymar going to Chelsea. It was confirmed, as in everything was done. And all of a sudden, to like three hours later, no, no, just kidding. He's going to Real Madrid. Real Madrid, done. And the people who were in Brazil were saying, like, as reporters, were like, no, this is 100% done, blah, blah, blah. Finally, a, a day later, he signs for Barcelona. And you're like, what has happened? The guy <laughs> signed for three clubs in two days. Yeah, And so... That and all the tax evasion stuff that's gone on with this transfer to Barcelona, I'm just saying don't write it out if don't write it off seeing yeah. Neymar in a Real Madrid shirt before the World Cup yeah. because it's all crazy. Because his history already is kind of yeah. weird, so it wouldn't well, it wouldn't be stranger if it didn't happen. It would just be like continuing the trend. Oh, typical yeah. Neymar. Yeah. yeah, seems well, like a princess. Could have been that Russian team, but it's uh, <laughs> imagine. Whew. All right, so final topic before we get into the the meat of the podcast. West Ham United not doing so great in the Premier League. Things are getting hot over the weekend. They've had four separate pitch invasions. Pitch their people jump on the pitch. One 
fan even grabbed a corner flag and did the whole this is Sparta thing and <laughs> stabbed it into the middle of the ground. Mark <laughs> Noble, their captain, got into a fight, was like ripping this guy's pants off, like pushing him off the field. The fans then left their seats and were all charging at the director's box and standing underneath the director's box and just kind of flipping him off, yelling at him. The director had to leave the director's box because it wasn't safe for him. It's a, a big mess, right? But what I kind of want to talk about is the fans that were protesting the, now got lifetime bans from West Ham. So the one, th- these are the ones that invaded the pitch. I, I want to kind of get your opinion on this because I don't know if it's normal for pitch invader, invaders to get lifetime bans. I think they normally get a few years, but under the circumstances... Of life, how malicious of how, it was. Malicious, but also I think that the club is trying to make a point. Do you think that this is one of those overkill situations, or do you think that this guy is protesting something he feels in terms of bad management in the club? Do you think that he deserves that year? I mean, that lifetime ban, or, or should it have been a little less? So I think that this plays really well into our, our conversation about Arsenal Fan TV from last week in terms of um, how, what is a fan's role in a club, right? And how to voice your opinion and what you think you should do. I think that a lifetime ban, I may think it's harsh, but I don't think I'd ever run onto a field to attack someone. Yeah. I think that for you to do that... They weren't attacking, the pitch invaders weren't attacking anyone. They were just kind of jumping onto the field to... Yeah, to cause an issue, cause yeah. an uproar. I guess it's not attacking. Um, no one, No one did try to... I thought that the guy that Mark Noble tried to hit was being a little malicious. I'm not sure. From from what I saw, Mark Noble was trying to push him off the field because it had happened a few times. so many times he was frustrated. That he was getting Also, let's let's say that it wasn't malicious. I don't think that it's hard, right? I mean, no one's going to take you seriously unless you take a big stand. But at the same time, you got to understand it's a safety issue. You can't really be running out onto the field. At the end of the day, it is illegal against the the club. And and it's like, imagine if you had a swarm of people charging you from a stadium that has... I mean, you have 22 guys on the field plus three refs plus or four refs and, like, the teams on the bench or whatever. They can't stop 50,000 yeah. people. I, it it got to, heated to, enough where they actually brought in the – they they took the little kids the, that they bring out onto the yeah, field. The ball boys. They um, brought the them they, they, oh, and the sat them in the – they sat them in the players' um, seats while the players kind of protected them because oh, that's wow. how nervy it was, which is – I mean, that's obviously scary. That's a lot of tension for – for the players, refs. Yeah. I don't I don't agree with it. I, I understand why they would do it, I guess. You don't agree with... I don't agree. I, I think they should get lifetime ban. Uh-huh. Well, a lifetime ban is so, is so harsh because they, they did it out of love for yeah. the club. I would say give them a 10, 15-year ban from, yeah. from buying tickets. I, I understand they're doing it to make a point, but at the end of the day, these fans are doing it because they love the club. I don't think they should be banned for life because then... You know, maybe the directors are saying, oh, if they do that, they're not fans. But in reality, they're doing that because they are fans. So yeah. I think I think Lifetime is a harsh ban. 15 years is a long time. If yeah. you want to give them a 10, 15-year ban, a decade without being able to go to the ground or going to see them even away, really, I guess, like, that's yeah. that's rough. I think yeah. had they not known, like, the because the Pigeon Invaders happened, what, after... No, before the During fact the that, game. No, was it before that they all went over oh, to the box? before or, they all went over to so the box, So I think yeah. had they known that if they were going over to the box, I think if that box invasion didn't happen, they wouldn't have gotten the lifetime ban. But because the box invasion happened, so were, the owner was so enthralled that he was just like, they're not going to do this to me. Like, yeah. all right, whoever invaded the pitch, they're done for life. Yeah. If they hadn't send, invaded send a message. The, yeah, send a message like... Normally, it probably wouldn't happen, but, like, yeah, the guy took a center flag and everything like that and endangered some yeah. kids. But, like, had they had not swarmed and everything, I don't think it wouldn't have yeah, been as Yeah, the bad. retribution was extra because of the, the heightened the sense of that fear that was afterwards. happening. But at the same time, it's just, like, I get that you love your club yeah. that much, but... Yeah, and just a quick, I just want to yes or no on this. You get banned for life from your club. Do you resent that club and not really watch it anymore? Hmm... Nah, you you support it. You, I, I also I think the lifetime. Is there an emotional are, connection there anymore? Yeah, they they've so. shown you that they don't really love you. Well, but you also took. You have you to understand that if you, if you take an action, you have to understand the repercussions. Yeah. So 
if you're doing it out of love, you should realize that there is going to be some retribution that shouldn't erase the love. Yeah, exact. I agree. I just want to start to a little bit of yeah. a little bit of genre. No, I think that's a I great question. It's a great yeah. question. It's just hard though because it's yeah. like you can't expect to not get any retaliation for you yeah. running on the field. Yeah. You know what I mean? You may love the club. You may do it out of love, but you got to realize that you run on that pitch. You have your your your. It's not going to end well for you. Yeah. No, I agree. I think that's um. You got to know the consequences of your actions, always. Yeah. So yes. Okay, but moving on, meat of the meat of the um, podcast today. We're going to be talking about the Chinese Super League. So, Louis, can you give us a little? Yeah. So the reason we want to talk about the Chinese Super League is that over the past few years, there's been a huge influx of uh, players and coaches moving to play in China for big money moves, and. It's not just washed up players the way it used to be in the MLS where you'd have these DPs come in and, and they're just like at the end of their career or they're whatever they are and they're looking for a payday. In China, you have these players in their prime, in, in the years of their life, international players who play in international teams moving over to China to play there. And to give you a little, just a little taste of the, the names of players who have played or are playing in China right now, you have Oscar, who used to play for Chelsea, Brazil International, Hulk, Hamidis. Paulinho, who just went to Barcelona, yep. Carlos Tevez, Nicholas uh, Gaetan, Diego Tardelli, Odi Anigalo, Axel Witzel, Ezekiel Lavetsi, Javier Mascherano, Jackson Martinez, Didier Drogba, and some of the coaches, you know, Manu Menezes, who used to coach Brazil, Fabio Cannavaro is now uh, the coach of, like, the best team in China. He was the Ballon, winning, Ballon d'Or winning defender from Italy. Um, Manuel Pellegrini, who was the coach from Manchester City, who won the title of Manchester City. Uh, Andres uh, Andres Villasboas, um, the nice Portuguese. Uh, thank there, you. Yeah. The uh, Portuguese uh, manager who used to manage Tottenham, Chelsea, and uh, Zenit Saint Petersburg. Um, Felix Magath, who has won the Bundesliga several times, uh, as well as Dragan Stojkovic and Gus Poyet. These are two other yeah. big name managers over there. That's a sick name. Yeah, it is a cool name. Um, It'd be a sick Tekken player. <laughs> <laughs> Dragon. The Basically, the reason why this all started was, if you know anything about Chinese economy, you understand that the government kind of has its hand in every single aspect of the economy, and the government kind of controls a little bit of everything. They are a huge world power right now in terms of money and all of this, and the Chinese government slash sporting agency or sporting uh, agency of the government, they want to, their end goal is to host and win a World Cup in China. By 2050. By 2050. In other words, they want to find the next Cristiano Ronaldo, the, 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 the Chinese Cristiano Ronaldo or the Chinese Messi. Now, how do they want to go about this? They wanted to, they needed to create a very attractive league and they had money to throw around. And so, basically, like, the first statement of intent from these play from um, the Chinese Super League was the purchase of Hulk. Hulk, at the time, was on the rise. He was actually doing pretty well. He was playing for Brazil. He was playing for Brazil, playing at Zenit St. Petersburg. He was a starter for Brazil at the World Cup, basically, um, in a couple games. And they bought him for $40 million, And they gave him a salary on par with the highest in soccer at the time. So, he's been there for probably, like, four years. And so a lot of people give the players who move to China a lot of flack on the internet. They talk a lot of shit about them, telling them, oh, you're just hunting the money, you're just going after the payday, you're gonna like kill your career. But basically that was like the first thing that happened. And then a little a little while a little while later, Shanghai SIPG is the name of the team, they paid sixty three million to sign Oscar from Chelsea, who was at one point he was a starter at Chelsea, started to move to the bench, um, and then the other Shanghai team made Carlos Tevez the highest paid player in the history of soccer with a reported salary of 634,000 euros a week. Yeah. And so when you're looking at it from the outside and you don't really understand much about the league, you think, wow, these, these figures are absurd. They're ridiculous. It's the Chinese league. But what people don't, and, and kind of building off of what Louis already said, don't understand is a the the value of players in china chinese players is so low and the owners are so rich that for them buying a buying a team mostly of chinese players is next to nothing so they have this inflation that allows them a great overhead to buy players internationally and 
a lot of the owners, a lot of the clubs there are, are as we mentioned, run by um, political figures. They want to win points with the government. So what they do is, I have a shit ton of money left over. I'm going to buy X player for this amount of money. It doesn't really matter to me. But I'm doing this because I want to get favor with the government. So in terms of is this crazy money, yes, from the outside. But in terms of from the club's perspective, it's really not that out of fashion because of the, the lack of value in the rest of the Chinese players that are, that are existing. right? So I think it's important to note that China is a massive country. And when we're thinking of are these players kind of giving up a career in football, I personally... It's it's funny because I I think that they are in terms of the world sport because you're obviously going to a much much lower level of the sport regardless. I don't care how many superstars you bring in initially. If 90% of your your league is made up by players that are subpar in terms of world level, you're you're kind of calling it quits. But at the same time, I'm like, if I am playing this sport and I am going to get paid six times more what I'm getting paid now, I'm going to leave and I'm going to go play. So one interesting quote um, that in an article I was reading is basically by the time Oscar was sold to China, he wasn't starting every game. He actually wasn't really playing all that much. He was coming in as a sub a lot. And it basically it said... Oscar gave up bench warming at Chelsea to quadruple his wages and become one of the biggest stars in a continent of 4 billion people. Is that so bad? Right. So if you no. put it into perspective from a player perspective, you know, you have both sides, right? You have the player that's going there to chase the money who is and he his Brazil career, he hasn't played for Brazil since basically. He from the day he went to China, he might have made one more appearance for Brazil, but he hasn't played for Brazil since his move. So for him, sure, he hasn't played for the national team. So for him, I guess it was an international career that was ended. But the ability for him to become a superstar on a continent of 4 billion people in a country that is on the rise, a country that has a ton of money and allows him to become a huge figure. That's that basically trade off in the world. Right. No. It's basically a whole other world, right? Yeah. Because for us from here in the Western, um, Western part of the world, we don't really get insight into China there. It's almost like. They have everything of their own, right? They got their own Facebook. They got their own app. They got ev- they have they they have their own everything. They're almost a a group of people that are completely separated into their biggest population in the world. So, in terms of from our perspective, when we're looking at the world sport, we don't really watch the Chinese Super League. We watch Premier League, German League, all these other leagues, but we don't know how. That's a lot of people. Yeah, that's you, you are if you are going to be making X amount more, and you're going to be the man in a place where you're it's basically more than everywhere else put together in the right. world uh, it's hard to say no to that yeah. and you have to oscar he had to make the sacrifice of playing for the national team i i 100 agree he should not play for the national team if he's still in china but he's not really losing out no. <laughs> he's uh, making his millions have, you have to think of, training every day you have he's to think about where a lot of these guys come from too they're coming yeah, from nothing. i mean from nothing, maybe some some players are more fortunate and they've they were able to be brought up. But a lot of these guys came from nothing, and if you're going to be making a ridiculous amount of money for a few years, say you just, the international is just isn't your ambition anymore. It's not that bad of a deal. Yeah, because at the end of the day, it, it, I mean, it is a job. Yeah, like, athletes do have a job. Yeah, and their career ends much faster than many other careers happen right. to finish. Yeah, I mean, they, you're lucky if you make it to thirty. Uh, exactly. In terms of the world the, sport, yeah, the, the world sport and getting the big salaries, right. and you just start getting traded for a couple million, right? I don't. I think absolutely. I think people obviously want to deflect on that, but if if I got paid a bajillion dollars to leave this podcast and go to another one, I would. You know, oh, yeah, hundred percent. I, mean? 100%. <laughs> I, don't I like you guys that. a lot, but I hundred percent would because it's it's, it's it's yeah. You gotta. Be- it's just a career change. It's like, oh, this this firm asked me to pay a little bit more money. Then you know, I'm gonna go over there. So yeah, but so this kind of plays into the the fact of of that money in football. But do you think the retribution of not being able to 
to play at the highest international level is fair for these players. And and the reason I ask is because Yannick Carrasco is one of he's a 24 year old player played for Atletico Madrid, scored a, a Champions League final goal against Real Madrid. What was it? A year ago? Two years ago? Two, that two, two years ago? Years ago? A, a, a baller. I mean, he really is something else. He's he just went to China on a big money move. Because should he, he lose his spot on the Belgian team? So the thing is, is that I think I actually think that long term it'll it will not benefit you to be in China. But I'm actually going to pull a quote from from a thing I was reading that someone asked Eden Hazard, um, who so Eden Hazard, Yannick Carrasco, they're they're uh, teammates on the Belgian national team. And they asked Eden Hazard, like, hey, how do you feel about uh, Carrasco going to China so close to a World Cup year? Yeah. And he made, and he said, in China, it's certain he'll play a lot. Frankly, it's better than having to have playing time in China than to be on the bench in La Liga. It seems a bizarre choice, but he has his reasons. I'm sure of that. I don't have any problem with those Red Devils who go to China. So I think in the short term, he's right. You know what I mean? It's better. In a, in a World Cup year where you have two options, you sit on the bench in La Liga and you're not getting regular playing time. Or do you go in China? And yes, the competition's a little less, but you're only there for three months, four months before the World Cup starts. Are you really going to lose your footballing ability in four months before a World Cup? And it's a gamble for him. Maybe he goes to the World Cup and he goes to China, plays four months, balls there, and then goes to Ch- goes to the World Cup and mm-hmm. absolutely destroys yes, it. And all of a sudden, he has the ability to go to another club True. and make his move back to Europe within a short amount of time. Right. Sort of, right? Right. Um, I think to really get back to the crux of your question is, do I think it's fair? Not necessarily, but I think that's the game. Of, that's the world of football. It's it's you got to be playing at the highest level for you to win at the highest level. Yeah. And right now, China may not be there yet, and so I think in the long term, it is going to hurt Carrasco to be there. Carrasco to be there long term, but in the short term, I don't see a big difference. Yeah. And the, and the reason I see that is because I want to uh, contrast that with the situation of Paulinho. So, Paulinho has been a mainstay in the Brazil national team lineup for a while now. He's played at Tottenham. Everyone in England hates him, says he's the worst signing Tottenham's ever had. He then goes to... There's a funny comp video of him titled Paulinho's Best Moments at Tottenham, and they're just all horrible, horrible. Oh, really? It's like a six-minute video. He he gets so much shit from the English media, especially the London media, about how bad he was at Tottenham. Goes to China, continues to play for the national team because he's really good at soccer. Coach loves him. Gets a massive money move to one of the world's biggest clubs in Barcelona. And I, I want to say he's been in China. He was in China for about two to three years. And his level of play in La Liga this year has been astounding. Yeah. So my question is, is the level of play in China really that different if Paulinho can come back from China? And, dude, the guy's got so many goals for Barcelona this year, and he's just been so influential that it's like every game he's scoring for Barcelona from a deep-lying midfield role. So it's like, in that comparison there, how it shows me that is the is the level of play in China that bad? Um, I don't, I don't know if it's the level of playing or if it's the player, right? Because okay. some players, I, I don't know, but I, I would think that I mean, Paulinho's. I've always thought he was a good player. I thought I think he had a really bad spell. That really threw his name in the dirt, and because of that, because of the way that the world world reacts to those types of things, his stock really fell. And so he had the opportunity to go play for a money move. He probably maybe even thought that he was at a low in his career, which I'm sure he did because he was playing really, really poorly for for Tottenham. So he got this chance to go to China, and it reinvigorates you right because i i mean think of it from a personal perspective you play your men's league and you play a team that's really bad and you start playing really well you still feel good regardless of if that team was really bad or not how many times have we gone into a teamwork session gone and played our game played a team and we were just like yo we played the worst team but we played we, so well. we played we scored 11 goals right it was scored 11 goals in an indoor game you everyone's on a high so I don't know if it is because of the league or if because the comp- the competition was just so bad that it elevated him more and it made him feel good. Honestly, his move to Barcelona is astonishing. I would never expect in today's day and age that someone would go to China and then go back. 
to Europe, to but Europe. not just to go back to Europe, to go back to Barcelona, to Barcelona, right. one of the top and I think clubs that in the world. In terms of Carrasco's future, it was a good move to have gone after Paulinho left because it shows that there is a path outside of China. But I think that if it doesn't pan out in terms of his footballing um, career and what he can achieve, it turns it turns into a bad move financially. It turns into a great move, but. My my view is that the league is pretty bad. It, it, the league is so bad that it elevates players to a point where they become, <laughs> they get their egos boosted. And if they're really good football players, I mean, it's hard. It's scouts nowadays can tell even if you're playing in a shit league if you're a good soccer player. So they can really they can still get a chance. But there's also the potential of if you're not doing good in this league now, then you're just you're just there. So I think one thing that hasn't been said yet but it, it leans on um, some of the topics of the players that you're playing against and stuff. I think that environment has a huge impact on it. So for Paulinho, he left Brazil and went to England. Those are like the cultural shock between the two of those is probably so great that like... Brazilian players don't often do well in England. I mean, no, it's very rare to find really like a Brazilian soccer player that does really well. William is one that comes to mind, Coutinho. but it's really but hard. William Coutinho also had Firmino. four years right. in uh, right. Ukraine before right. he went there. Coutinho li- was living in Italy for three years before he went to, 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 to Liverpool. Paulinho went directly from Brazil to yeah. England. Okay. And so, but then think about it. He, uh, Paulinho went to a team in China that had a full lineup of Brazilian players along with all the Chinese players. So for him, environment is probably key, which is probably why he's doing so well in Barcelona. Yep. Surrounded by world-class players, he shines. Because he he may not be a superstar in his own right, but he's a cog that makes everyone else work well, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think that Tottenham, they had so such high expectations for him to be this like amazing midfielder for them, but he was I don't know if he was ever going to be that for them. So it, I think it has to end up be, being a question as well as of if environment. And so I think the way to kind of kind of go about it is, is going to China a death sentence for your career? No, I don't think so because of what we just said. And if the player can continue to produce what they produce in China and scouts see that, I don't think there's any doubt that they shouldn't play for their national team or even have the ability to go back. Because you got to also think, like, the teams who play those stars, like, don't you think they got to be charged up and, like, yo, I'm playing Paulinho? Like, yo, we're going to try it fucking hardest. We're going to give it our all. And, like, who's to say the competition? I mean, yeah, it might be worse, but it could still be pretty vigorous. But and the level of the level might be elevated every exactly. time they play. Yeah. And I, I think that if they can show that their ability doesn't change, even playing down, they should have every ability to keep playing on their national team. It all kind of comes down to the coaches and the scouts. Like, yeah, he's in China. Like, do we do we risk the biscuit? Like, so it must be a perception issue too. Yeah. Getting over that that perception, right? Yeah, I don't think it is a death sentence, but I'm hesitant to say that. Even with everything that I've said, like I believe in everything that I said, <laughs> but I I just think, I think it really depends on the player. Balinu was one exception to that. The rest of the players that have ended up in China and then moved away have not moved away to a club of equal stature to Barcelona. No. Tevez went back home, played for Boca Juniors. That's a move that I think was written in the stars regardless. Um, Drogba is now playing here in the U.S. Some but at the age team. of 42 in Arizona. Um, who are other players that have left? Did uh, Hulk is still in China? Hulk is still in China. So... Is he playing this year? You know, yeah. he just scored a banger. I think the uh, the other he day. Scores. I so I, I hate Hulk, so I don't even want to get into this conversation. But um, <laughs> Me too. I I want to say that it isn't a death sentence because of where technology is nowadays and how you can scout players. But there's only been one example of a player that has gone to a gone down to the Chinese league and then come back at a higher level. So the 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 it's sample the sample size for me is pretty small. Very much an to, outlier to say that 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 it's not a death sentence because nothing has proved otherwise. Um, but I'm gonna stick with with my with my initial idea that it isn't a death sentence. But that's mostly just off of gut and how I feel. I don't. If I was looking at it nu- numerically and statistically, I would say that it's a death sentence. But that's just my my view on it. I think it's a, it can be a calculated risk, a risk and reward, right? If you can look at it and say, hey, I'm not doing so hot at this team. I need regular playing time. 
you got to think about it the alternatives, right? Let's say in, in Carrasco's case, he's sitting on the bench in Atletico Madrid. He has two options. He sits there and fights for his place, which is what a lot of coaches would want him to do so he can get better. But it's also World Cup here, so he wants to be playing at the World Cup and needs regular playing time. So he had the option of maybe going into another league in Europe that wasn't going to pay him as much. He might he could have been able to step down into, let's say, like, I don't know, maybe the, the Denmark for top division, he could go play for them or go back to Belgium and play for like Antwerp or something like that or Anderlecht and play at that level. But he's not going to make as much money as if he went to China. And the results could be the same. I think that for a lot of players, it has to come down to what is the risk I'm willing to take and where do I want to go? I don't think it's a death sentence, but it can hurt your career if you don't do it in a good enough way. So that to me is like calculate the risk and it's a gamble. Um. I sort of disagree with what you just said because I think that in terms of Carrasco and without getting getting too deep into this, I think that he is a player who had the potential to be at a much better club than one in China. If I, if I, I mean, this is selfish of me to say, but if I, I think that if I'm in his position, I know that I'm a good player. Maybe he doesn't know, but he is a good player. He could have ended up at a, another Spanish team. He could have ended up at another lower league, Premier League team, ended up where he's still playing for competition. Sure, he's not going to be making the gazillions of dollars he would in China, but he'd, he'd be playing and showing a level of soccer that is much higher than the Chinese league. I think that money came into play there. Maybe his ambition just isn't that great in terms of competition level. Doesn't give a shit. But I'll say that his, his options, because I've seen him play, he had a little bit more than just the Chinese league or going back to Belgium. I think that a lot of teams would have picked him up had they not been out-muscled in terms of price. I think that that's the problem you get when you start looking at, should I select these players for the World Cup? Is that it's, and this might be an ignorant, ignorant view on my part, but does it show that you actually care about competition? True. Huh. Very valid point. Do you care about more of the money or do you... Right. Is, am I going to put a guy who's at, making millions? At the end of the day, he's making millions. He's going from making millions to making more millions. Yeah. So if it's that much of a change for you... Does he do really you, care do about Do you us? care about the sport or you just want to make this make this living? And that's fine. But then when you're looking at death sentence of a, of a player and is that the end... If I'm a big club, I'm kind of like, oh, I don't know, man. I don't think that this is the guy that we want to be True. having no, in our, it's, in our it, club. It, uh, yeah, it all comes down to yeah. the, it, the player's intentions, I guess. Right, uh, and I think that, that that move really speaks a lot for the the, the intention of a player because he could have gone to fucking Stoke City and for still millions yeah. but been competing, right? Yep. So, I don't know. That's just my personal yeah, view on it. I think that that's super valid and it's a really interesting take on it because I think all this plays into it. I think all of those things really do play into it. Yeah. Um, but moving along and kind of moving a little bit away from a player perspective and, and start to really think about the structure of the league and how it's it's come up. Like I said, the, the Chinese government and sporting organizations, they want to find the next Cristiano Ronaldo or the next Messi born in China, and they want to develop them, right? So in a very short span of time and probably something like... So the, the Chinese Super League has really only been around for, I think, something like 20 years, a little bit less, maybe even like 15. Yeah. And this is, uh, by reading a couple articles, this is the first time a country has put this this much money so quickly to try and get so many results 2004 so i'm sorry so yeah we're looking at about 14 years wow. of of its existence that's young that's it's young and they've been pouring 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 money into this league at a rapid rate the same way that they've been pouring money into all of their industries right. in china yeah but and the person that wrote the article I, they compared it between the the money that in the u.s they've put into the mls which has been a lot and think about it the mls started in 96 we are in 2018. They are now. They now have a team that has that just had 72,000 uh, attendees in an MLS match. Yeah, big growth, but not nearly at the level that China has been experiencing it. And so, uh, a, they they've been trying to really build like academies and stuff. So Evergrande Football Club, which is uh, the football like school for the biggest, the best team in China, Evergrande. Gangzhou, I'm yeah. really butchering that. I too. apologize. Um, they basically created a, a, a school that has 2,800 students and they have 48 fields within this little complex. Yeah. And basically they're working these kids, you know, every day, the same way that, you know, you go to, like you start training in other parts of the country, but they're doing it on like a massive scale because yeah. they have 
so many billions of 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 of, of a population in China. So they're like, there has to be someone that's gonna yeah. have that skill, right? Yeah. And so you know, it, it comes into that um, that question, and they ask Gus Poyet, who is managing the Premier League, about what what his view on the Chinese league is, and he says that I think the league is getting better and better. And in the beginning, most people thought of it; it was only about the money. And there's, that's still true, and it's difficult to explain it, but now they're bringing in players that are younger and are on top of their form, and competition is becoming more and more difficult. And so I think they're slowly trying to do is make it a worldwide league, not only for the people in China, but a league that everyone would like to watch all over the world. Yeah. And so I do find it interesting because I do think there's a lot of people in Brazil, I know for a fact, who do somewhat follow, at least to a small degree, the Chinese Super League. Yeah. Because for a long time, Brazilian players have been moving to China prior to the big money spend. It was still a big money spend for them, but it wasn't to this level that it is today. And so it is slowly starting to become, you know, a big league. So my question is, do we think it's wrong or right how influential the Chinese government is in this league? Uh, Yeah. Oops, sorry. Um, Yes, a little bit. Because I don't think, I mean, I think that the governing bodies of a country shouldn't necessarily be that involved with the sports bodies and federations that do that. But it's China. It is what it is. I will say that it is refreshing when you contrast it to how the U.S. has kind of grown and what their focus is to see a nation, whether it's the country building it up or the actual clubs, to invest in the youth. Right. I mean, after these big money moves, the the government was started making changes to the to the to the to the league's rules where you had to have three. It was three designated players. Now, I think is the law. Yeah, they can't have more than than that. So so you're promoting the youth, but you're not promoting the youth in the sense of, oh, you designated players is the only thing that you you can. That's the only restriction you're building the youth because you're investing money into the youth like you're building a yeah. complexes with 48 fields as louis said so there's actual interest in actual and whether it's a financial move or not i mean obviously there is a financial move behind it you're still investing in the youth you're still understand that you have a big population and when you think of here in the u.s you contrast that with china we always talk about how there needs to be an improvement in investing in the youth and get providing fields and doing this and that and not making it be a rich kid sport I'm sh- I I think China is doing kind of what we're asking them to do, right? So if yeah. we're looking at it from from that perspective, I can't really complain because it's what I want the US to do. So, in terms of do I think the government should probably lay off? Sure, but that's just because I'm an American and I think that I guess the I mean, the China doesn't do this yeah. things the correct way, but I think that in, if I'm being objective, then China's doing everything that I wish was kind of happening here in the US. Yeah, they're doing exactly what we want them to do. <laughs> Just the fact that that their government has that hand in right. makes us skeptical. And in terms of like their World Cup bids, yeah. this and that, and like it makes us question FIFA's motives because right. at the end of the day, it's like, well, you're you're banning all these There's other things and everything, but like China, who has a lot of money, seems yeah. to be not really doing anything wrong. Yeah. So to to go along with what you just said. Um, FIFA has strict, strict laws and rules with uh, a country's governing body having any influence yeah. on the sporting of that country. They recently just did two, they just uh, basically complained twice to Spain for having the Spanish government be involved in the Spanish FA for minor things. Yet, China's allowed to stand as uh, because there is no separation between the government and yeah. the sporting powers in China. And so there's a Forbes article that says that there's a very strategic reason for this. FIFA being embroiled in the controversies that we've spoken about in past episodes, they are hurting a little bit for cash to an extent. I mean, they're fucking loaded. But in the grand scheme of things, they are hurting a little bit for cash, power, and influence. Cash that they're willing to um, advertise. Cash <laughs> that they're willing to advertise. But power influence is the big one. And who's currently the being considered the world superpower? <laughs> China, right? But in terms of power and influence, because money talks. So there, the article states that they're essentially allowing China to do this in the hopes that it'll allow, it'll come back to FIFA in a good way in terms of power, money, and influence. Like that, right. Influence. Yeah, FIFA would have to change all of gov- all of China's governing style 
to get what they want. I mean, if they're going to comply. Or sanction them, which would be yeah. rough for everybody involved. Yeah. yeah, if you're thinking in terms of superstars, you don't put Ronaldo on the bench, you're not going to tell China to um, to, to stop yeah, getting right. involved with the sport, right? Exactly. That's just what it is. Exactly. So, yeah, it's hard. If I'm FIFA, I'm trying to put on a good image, which the FIFA obviously is it, I would tell... I would make some provisions for China specifically that kind of just regulated it a little bit better. Yeah, say like, hey, we know what's going on, but like, hey, we're, this we're, needs to happen. This or needs to happen some rules, if you right? want FIFA to keep going. Right, but from, <laughs> it, a, it, from a financial standpoint, you're kind of like, I can't really piss this guy off. Yeah, so. yeah. especially because they view it as a, as a springboard for the future, right? Yeah. So I, I, from, from, a, from a standpoint of growing the Chinese Super League and growing the sport around the world, I think growing the sport around the world is amazing. I love the fact that after the World Cup happened in, in the U.S., we finally started to take soccer seriously and the MLS came about. And we're, you know, despite the fact that we, we, we hate a little bit on the MLS every once in a while, but I think that... Every episode. Every, <laughs> I think that where it is today in comparison to where it was even yeah. three, four years ago is astounding. Yeah. And the fact that the World Cup was a catalyst for this and it was great, I think that... And even having people ask questions about the MLS is progress, right? Because right. before, if you didn't care, there weren't there weren't questions. And now there are people asking questions, which is important. Yeah. And so I think that from, from an objective standpoint of growing the sport around the world, I think China's doing an amazing job. Yeah. Despite the fact that they're burning through cash faster than Neymar's lawyers. But like... You know what I mean? Like they're doing their thing. And I think that it's a good thing to grow the sport around the world. It's just, it's harsh when the government's involved. You <laughs> yeah. Know? yeah. Yeah. You don't it's, know what's really happening in the background. But It's definitely a double-edged sword. It's like, yes, grow the sport, but what's yeah. going to really happen? Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's out of our control. That's, that's FIFA that has to make some type of, um, some type of real decision. Or come out and say, okay, if governing bodies were allowing it for one guy, we've got to start allowing it for the one, which is a, a whole other issue right. um, as a whole. But I think I think that if we're looking at it from the sports perspective, you can't really complain. It's another major league. and Yeah. Maybe Only bolsters I, more competition. Yeah. Maybe we start following the league. I have to wake up at uh, 3 in the morning as opposed to 6 to watch my team play and yeah, whatever right. it may be. Who knows? In the future, it could end up getting to that way. Right. But – to circle back to something you said about how um, they really want to host the World Cup by 2050, they they you know they currently sit 77th in FIFA's world rankings behind Jamaica, Jamaica. You know what I mean? A, t- a country known more for cricketers and the bobsled team than for f- soccer. And so they have actually been doing a couple of interesting things to make sure their players are better. So really it comes down to the, the whole, the whole uh, restriction of three foreign players in a match day squad. Um, that was one implementation that they put into, which this is actually very similar to something we talked about in the episode with uh, talking about the USSF presidential candidates of limiting uh, match day squads to include more Americans in the U.S. They are limiting foreign players to really bolster the Chinese players' development. Right. So how do we feel about that in China's terms? Because in the U.S., I think we all were kind of agreeing that we didn't want them to, to just give players a spot because they're American. But at the end of the day, I don't think China wanted to be overtaken by these foreign players. So what, do you think it's right for China to be imposing these restrictions on match day squads? I think so. Because it kind of caps off like all the money they can spend to still focus on... The, the population of China. It's like you guys have mad money. You guys have all these dudes, but you can only play with three of them because we need to we need to grow ourselves, not just pay these foreign guys to play for us. I, I think that it's the same but a little different, right? Because the U.S. is doing that to bolster the American talent, but the U.S. isn't doing youth development to the same level as China is. Mm-hmm. So China is investing a shit ton of money in their youth. They want to see a return on that. And if they don't cap it, there's no return. Whereas the MLS, there is investment in youth. I'm not downgrading the MLS for that. But it isn't. Clubs aren't dishing out millions of dollars, billions of dollars to build youth facilities, right? Youth specific locations for, for to gather as much talent as they possibly can. So for the u.s it probably it, for the u.s we don't like that because it doesn't add competition and because we want to see better competition here but if you're if you're putting in a lot of money into 
the development of youth, I understand the perspective of having to say, hey, we're putting in a lot of money for R&D. We need to start actually utilizing what comes out of that R&D to see if it's worthwhile. Where I think here, it's obviously a little hypocritical to say that, but here the the R&D money isn't enough. Yeah. Right? So it's a little, it's, it's different to say, oh, Let's cap the let's cap the number of high salary players or star players, but we're also not really giving you that much money to invest in youth players. Then it's like, okay, well then where am I really going to get talent from? I'm going to scrape from the bottom of the barrel, try to find whatever I can. I mean, it's obviously an exaggerated analogy, but I understand the different stand. I I can understand why someone would think that it's okay in China and not okay here. I just want to point out real quick. I think that the issue is also leans on league versus national team right i think that china they've made their focus being we want to win a world cup and host a world cup right before 2050 right and while i assume the u.s wants to win a world cup everyone wants to win a world cup mm-hmm. i think that they are prioritizing the growth of the mls Abs- oh that's and a good so point. i think Absolutely. that the growth of a league is going to be hampered mm-hmm. by putting a restriction on foreign players but then again, as we've seen with England, England people, the English press bitches all the time about how there's not enough youth development in England and how the players are getting, they're not playing because you have these foreign players playing in their spaces. But at the end of the day, it has to be competition-based, right? Yeah. yeah. No, I think that that's a really good point. Uh, the, absolutely the distinction of, of league growth versus U.S. US now. The, mm-hmm. I think the U.S.'s perspective is that if you grow the league, the national team is going to grow um, with that. Which yeah. may or may not be true. I mean, we've seen that England. That's not necessarily true because their national team sucks. But <laughs> I mean, they do. They. I mean, they haven't won shit in a long time. So with that we can see that that the Premier League is definitely the focus there, and I'm, I'm sure the MLS is kind of trying to replicate that because the Premier League brings in a lot of money. But it doesn't always mean that your national your national team is going to be good just because your your league and located yeah. in that nation is going to be good. So I think that that's an awesome point and something I didn't think, didn't of. Even think of. Absolutely, that the focuses are different for the both of them. And if China wants to win a World Cup, then focus on building players and 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 not the league. And so something that China has done is they actually sent. Uh, the Chinese national under-20 team, they sent them to Brazil to play as a league team in the lower divisions of Brazil cool. in 2016. Yeah. So basically they took their U-20 mm-hmm. team, grabbed all 20 of them, right? And we're like, okay, instead of you guys acting like a national team, you guys are now a club team at the lower levels of the Brazilian soccer pyramid, and you're going to go play with other young, hungry-ass dudes to teach them how to play. And I think they're trying to do that with Germany now as well. Like, they were trying to go into Germany as well and kind of establish. They're kind of creating, like, a network of just kind of... Like a global... Throwing out players. And think about it. What two countries do you want to learn how to play football from than Brazil and Germany? Right. Especially after we've spoken about Germany's uh, revamp of their entire youth system and their whole league and everything over the last two decades... What better place to send your youth players? What I find super interesting is that they're using proven strategies in other fields now in soccer because how many chinese students do you have on your campus it seems like every single campus is is loaded with chinese students and that's not a bad thing but do you know why because the chinese government plays pays for them to be there then they say i'll pay for you to come to the u.s and and get an education in what is considered the the most highly educated nation in the world in terms of higher level education but you have to come back and use your education here in this country so that in terms of that type of strategy it's it's that's an amazing strategy because you're pulling from all these other nations you're taking all you're basically taking all of their resources in a sense and then bringing it back so in terms of investing in the future We've seen that it works in, ter- in education, so why not try it for football? And, and maybe by 2050, they do win a World Cup, and they've revolutionized how you develop youth academies. Huh. So I think a really good question to, to end this on, or actually before we end it, uh, so what do you think is the future of China as both a league and as a national footballing nation? I think that... We have just spoken that I think they want to get their nation better. So I think their league right now might take a, a seat behind while they really focus on the youth development. But I think if their um, prediction or hypothesis is correct that they will win a World Cup by 2050, they will then be under everyone's radar. So I think they're making the bet that like, yo, we're going to be good someday. But like until that comes, like 
don't really expect too, too much from... But who's to say that those in-league players that... It could be both ways. Could did, Correlation could prove causation yeah. in this statistical analysis. <laughs> no, yeah, I think that right now I don't give a shit about the Chinese League. I probably won't for a long time. <laughs> yeah. But it's the it's the that's idea that's, that's common in the podcast of superstars make the sport. Superstars make a team. Superstars make a league. If they're investing in their 4 billion people... And they and they're gonna find a superstar because it's like statistically impossible they'd not find a superstar when they do. <laughs> Especially when the structures are <laughs> right. right. It's it's almost impossible to say that they won't find the next Ronaldo or Messi. They they will. So when that player comes, if I really like his style and I'm attracted to to him as a as a player, I'm probably gonna start watching the league. And if he's playing in China, it's just a matter of once once they find their superstars, they get five a generation of five players that are leading their nation to maybe not winning World Cup, but leading to the quarterfinals, semifinals. That's gonna matter, and that's gonna make me want to watch the league if I think that they have the best footballers in the world. Yeah. Everyone out there, long term, look out for China. <laughs> Sleeper pick 2050. 2050. <laughs> My 2050 pick goes to China. So I want to end the. They're this playing discussion. on the moon that year. <laughs> Mars. We hosted on the moon that Mars, year. Mars, 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 Mars. Yeah. More like Mars. Elon's yeah. bringing us to Mars. Yeah. Soon. Uh, By 2019. So to final to finish up this discussion, I think that my my final question is, who wins the World Cup first, the United States of America or China? The Chinese U.S. arms soccer race. I I, st- I still think the U.S. will. Ooh, twenty fifty is kind of creeping up. Who wins first, the U.S. Or, or China? I still think the U.S. because it, in terms of the World Cup, people might think this is crazy, but history matters in the World Cup, and China has no history in the World Cup. The U.S. has very little, but they're building on it slowly and surely. They have very little. From the middle part of the past century, right? Because they've actually placed third in the World Cup, right? Right. They don't, don't have c- consistent in history. In terms of history, it's kind of the culture. When I say history, it's the culture of the sport as well that plays a part in it. Because Uruguay won one year, but won twice in the 1930s. Right. But they have a his- They still believe that their country is going to win it. I don't think that we're the U.S. is there no. yet, where we're kind of like, oh, we finished third. We have a real chance. I think that we're building on that. So I think that the U.S. still has a, still because has they they will, they're going to build they're going to build on the history and build on the culture before China does, but I think China will put up a good race. Yeah, You're my bad. Ah, uh, you know I have to say just based on the pure volume of people, it's got to be China. Yeah. Like it's just that is true. You kind of just brute like, force it. Brute force. Like we have X amount of people. <laughs> like they're all going to play soccer. <laughs> we are going to win. Like yeah, that's true. You got to think like look at them produce Olympian athletes like gymnastics, that's this true, and that. Yeah. Like they can meld all these people. Now they're just turning their eye to that's soccer. True. I did not think of that. They they that's are efficient. Super, they are efficient at producing athletes. They are. That's a super cool perspective. Because think about it. Our our youth are still split between several sports. You yeah. Still yeah, have yeah. some of the best We're athletes so, playing basketball, mm-hmm. so some of the best athletes playing American football, some of the best athletes playing baseball, hockey, whatever. We're slowly starting to shift our focus to soccer, but no matter how much we shift it, there will always be that split of sports. Yeah. In China, if they decide that soccer is the <laughs> only sport, they're yeah, only going to play we, soccer. We have the luxury of choice. They do yeah. not. So yeah, Now that their eyes true. are set on that soccer, you can just force see like, oh, and China makes it to the yeah. <laughs> the gold, the gold medal match in the Olympics. Especially with, the, especially with the money behind it. The Olympics brings in money, but it doesn't bring in footballing money, right? No. So if the China is very little, right? In the grand scheme, right? If you if you bring in um, that as the main focus as the uh, what you want to produce athletes for, then yeah, China. That's a good point. But yes. then it would say say China win a gold medal in the Olympics. Would they allow their Olympic winning team athletes to go to England or? all these premier league teams i think so yeah. they're, they're not as restrictive as like north korea they're yeah. pretty good yeah but that so wait your final vote is who wins the world cup first china china yeah. you said u.s i said u.s but that yeah, I don't so know. I won't there's one more out. interesting perspective that i want to throw out is i can name you a couple of u.s internationals playing overseas i cannot name you a single chinese player that i even remotely know of that isn't playing in china so i think that in terms of our development track I believe that the U.S. having, you know, Pulisic at Dortmund and uh, Timothy Way at PSG and uh, what's the dude who plays for Schalke? Cameron, Matt. Um, yeah. McKinsey. Whatever his name is. But we have players who are developing as, you know, not superstars, but as, as 
playing at a higher level already overseas in some of the best leagues in the world, whereas China is trying to create their league to be the best in the world, and who knows how long that'll take. So I actually, my gut instinct is to say that the U.S. is further along in its development, so that means that they have a better chance. But then again, if China's growth pace is a lot faster than ours, they can eclipse us within the next 20 years. I don't really see the U.S. China puts up cities like it's nothing. So they do. If they're going at the pace at which they build the replica cities of, of places around the world, they could, if they put that same strategy to the players, they'll they'll be they'll be there. Yeah, I just did a quick search. Um, the most well-known footballer in China, one of the most well-known footballer in China, was the first East Asian to f- score in the Premier League, and that was in 2002. And his name was Sun Jihai. Huh. He was he he's from China, Manchester City. Oh, wow. Sun Jihai. Yeah. Oh. He's interesting. I didn't know they had a player who played in the Premier League. Yeah, yeah no, I, didn't I mean, back in 2000. He's age. He's 40 now. Oh, so he's not helping them yeah. win any World Cups. Yeah, no. Oh, Let's see. His good. last team was Beijing Rihen. He played in 2016. Cool. Yeah. He's he's been in 453 total appearances and scored 12 goals. I actually think I just read an article on him and how he's the oldest player in China, but that's for another day, probably. Yeah. yeah. So my vote, my gut instinct will say U.S., but China, man, watch out for him. I yeah. think they are they are coming fast. So. Yeah. Ni hao. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what do you guys think? Are you with me? China's going to win the World Cup in 2050? Or are you with those bozos who think the U.S. is going to win? Uh, let us know in the comments below. We hope you're with me. Don't care about them. As, as always, thanks again for watching, listening, participating. We love you guys. We do this for you and for the culture of soccer FC.